Being a chef means keeping your cool in the kitchen. And with Resi Priority Notify and Global Dining Access through my Amex Platinum card, right this way, it's nice to try someone else's food for a change. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. At Bed 365 we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. See for yourself when you sign up today and get $150 in bonus bets when you bet just $5. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. Zumo Play is your destination for endless entertainment. With a diverse lineup of 350-plus live channels, movies, and full TV series, you'll easily find something to watch right away. And the best part? It's all free. Love music? Get lost in the 90s with iHeart 90s. Dance away with hip-hop beats and more on the iHeart Radio music channels. No logins, no signups, no accounts, no hassle. So what are you waiting for? Start streaming at play.xumo.com or download from the app and Google Play stores today. All you can stream with Zumo Play. They are Sports Illustrated. It's amazing. This incredible body of work. I really appreciate the integrity. Everything you do is well done. You guys do a great job. Uh, We love it. What can we say? He's Chris Maddox. He's employed by Sports Illustrated. The announcer's got it in for me. There you go. This is the Crossover NBA Podcast. You have a problem with it? Build a team that can beat them. Hosted by the one and only. Oh, thank God. Thank God. Chris Mannix. All right, welcome back to the Crossover NBA Podcast. On this episode, we're going to get into the Celtics, how they fell and keep falling to the Milwaukee Bucks. We're going to talk about the Warriors and the Rockets. That series tied at two games apiece. We're also going to the coaching stuff. Monty Williams, he's the new head coach of the Phoenix Suns. Ty Lue. Seems like he's earmarked for L.A. Did both those teams get their man? We'll dive into that uh, as well. As always, best way to support this podcast, head over to Apple Podcasts. We can post a rating or leave a comment. Maybe you can do both. It's easy. It's free. It is the best way to make sure that we keep doing this podcast week after week. Also, if you like boxing, subscribe to the SI Boxing Podcast hosted by myself. That podcast also comes out every week. And if you're in the subscribing mood, my new SI TV show, In the Paint, premieres or did premiere a few weeks back. Uh, it is out usually on Tuesdays. This week, we might be fudging it a little bit as we uh, get, kind of get into the playoff mode here at Sports Illustrated. But check it out. It's on the SITV platform, usually on Tuesdays, only available on SITV. To subscribe, head over to SI.TV. Now, joining me on the podcast, back again, making yet another appearance. I don't know what number this is for Rohan Nedkarni, but he is back here in studio. What's up, Rohan? Chris, how's it going? If you don't mind, I just want to give a couple quick shout-outs oh, off okay. the top. Uh, first of all, Sam Latchow, thank you for being a, a loyal listener to the Mannix Podcast. Former SI intern, I believe, That's right, right. Yeah. yeah. He's a big Nets fan. I was very excited about our Nets discussion. Also, shout-out to my Instagram crush. You know who you are. <laughs> you want to... Nope, nope, that's it. There you go. <laughs> okay. Good to know. Good to, we'll leave it. Whoever your Instagram crush is, we'll leave it at that. Um, all right. As we often do on this podcast, I do want to begin with Boston. Good Lord. But you did say before we started recording here, at least they're finally a story. <laughs> yes. And they are a story, not for reasons people in Boston would hope. Down three games to one after an absolute clunker of a game against Milwaukee in game four. The Celtics built an early lead. Milwaukee wasn't shooting the three all that well. Then came the third quarter, and once again, the Bucks bench slapped the Celtics around. George Hill is playing like the best point guard in this series. Uh, Malcolm Brogdon is out, but other guys on that team are stepping up in a big way. You know, you look at the last eight minutes of the third quarter with Giannis on the bench, and the Bucks outscored the Celtics 21-13 to during that stretch. It was really a defining moment in the game. Um, I guess we should start with, with Kyrie Irving here. 
because Kyrie Irving, Rohan, spent the better part of the latter stage of the season promising everybody it was going to be okay. He said, look, guys, everybody needs to calm down. I'm here. We are going to succeed in the playoffs because I'm here. And now he's coming off his third straight bad game. He's had he got 61 points over the last three games. It took 62 shots for him to get there. What do you make of the way Kyrie has played? How much of the blame do you put on his shoulders? I I hesitate to use the word blame, but let's use the word responsibility instead. I think he's largely responsible. I think what Boston has seen this year in particular is the totality of the Kyrie Irving experience. It's stretches of brilliance, you know, stretches where it looks like this guy can be a top five player in the league with his scoring ability, his ability to, to make shots. And then you, you get him being enigmatic, you get him being mysterious, and then you get these stretches of inefficiency. I was talking to, I think, Andrew Sharp about this, and I think it, an interesting distinction to make with Kyrie Irving, he's not a great shot creator, but he's a great shot maker. And that that's two very different things. Kyrie isn't necessarily great at creating great shots for himself. What he's great at is making very difficult shots. And that is such a fine line, such a, a tight rope to walk, especially in a playoff series. And I think what we've seen the last three games, when he's not hitting those tough shots, this is what happens. And, and Milwaukee's a great defense. Credit Milwaukee. That third quarter, offensively, what you know George Hill at all did was incredible. Their defensive rotations, I mean, Kyrie Hayward and Tatum were on the floor for a large, large part of that third quarter stretch. Milwaukee's defense was just outstanding during that period. And I just think Kyrie... He, he definitely gets a lot of the responsibility. He just hasn't been hitting those tough shots that we've grown accustomed to him hitting. I also want to say, I don't think Brad Stevens is at fault. Again, I'm not saying there's blame here, but he also has to shoulder some of the responsibility. He hasn't been able to push the right buttons in the series. We saw Milwaukee make great adjustments. They've been switching a lot more defensively. It, it seems like Budenholzer's out coach Stevens in this series. He's made the adjustments that's helped Milwaukee get to this place. I don't think Stevens has done that. Do you think it's adjustments or Milwaukee just playing like the better team all throughout? I mean, they are, are showing Kyrie a lot of different looks, but that's what they've done all season long. They finished the year as the number one defensive team in the league. Eric Bledsoe is a terrific on-ball defender. They've got unbelievable length at key positions, which is what they kind of strive for. Like, that's what they went out and signed guys and drafted guys to have that type of length. I think Kyrie is getting really frustrated out there on the floor because every time down, he's staring at Bledsoe, and then there's Giannis behind him and Brooke Lopez. Look, I made Brooke Lopez kind of my wild card coming into this series because I wasn't sure he'd be able to stay on the floor. It felt like I might be right after game one when Al Horford pick and popped him to death and he only had, I think, you know, no threes and one bucket or something like that. Now he's out there in the fourth quarter. He's getting defensive stops. He's making uh, good decisions on screens. He's been really good in this sense. And, and Milwaukee, I think, is just asserting itself more than making an adjustment in this series. Yeah, I, I would say it's a little bit of both. On one hand, Milwaukee was obviously the better team for the balance of the season. I think we all had questions about Milwaukee coming in, you know, not very experienced as a group together in this situation. What will they look like? They've exceeded our expectations in that regard. It helps that they have by far the best player on the floor in Giannis. And Giannis, to his credit, you know, kind of, I think, felt things out in game one, realized what he had to do, and has been otherworldly the last three games. Dude, how about Giannis shooting 37.5% from three? That, that's been crazy. I mean, he's he's been shooting with confidence, too, more than anything. He looks confident if taking that, those shots. If that stretches out, though, over the next season and beyond, it's done. MVP's a wrap. Here's, Total here, wrap. Here's what I'll say about the adjustments. You mentioned Lopez, right? Didn't look great in game one. They've let him switch more. You know, they're putting him on Kyrie. We're seeing on offense, I think, Milwaukee's hunting switches more, trying to get Kyrie guarding Giannis. So I do think it's been a little bit of both. On one hand, I think a lot of us, I think it's fair to say you and I were a little hesitant about Milwaukee coming into this series. Were they another one of those groups that great during the regular season but now are running into a team with playoff experience that can flip the switch, so to speak? No, no, no. I think Milwaukee has shown that what we saw during the regular season was real. But they've also, within this environment, done a better job of kind of adapting to the situation. Yeah, and and give them credit. Like, they've matured as the playoffs have gone on, and Giannis just going to the rim is just unstoppable. Like, he, he in Boston, their defense has failed them. You know, they, again, if they go back to 
it goes back to the regular season Celtics. We're seeing a team that doesn't defend at the level they defended the last couple of years, doesn't pass the ball offensively like they should, uh, plays a lot of hero ball out there, a lot of your turn, my turn. It feels like the the shot envy has come back with some of these guys. Jason Tatum, where has Jason Tatum been in this series? He averaged 20 against Indiana. He shot 55% from three against Indiana. He's shooting 5% from three in this series. He's made one three-pointer in this series. That's astonishing for a guy with the talent of Jason Tatum. I mean, Tatum was awful the first two games. I remember I was riding off of game three and so curious if, if this match went. I just, when you look at the shot chart uh, from this series, Milwaukee is shooting just so, it's just playing better offense than Boston. I mean, game three, which which Boston obviously lost as well, they're taking, they're settling for so many mid-range shots, and that's Hayward, that's Irving, that's Tatum, it's their best guys. In game one, they were hitting those looks, but over time, with in an individual basketball game, it's not like mid-range is the devil and you should never take it. It's just harder. It's just harder when you're not getting good looks at the rim. It's just harder when you're not letting good good looks from three. And it just felt like Boston was falling into that trap of we're just going to trust our guys to go one-on-one, make those tough shots. Over time, that's just not a winning strategy. And I think that's what's happened. Milwaukee is just, I think, better disciplined as a team. I, I think you hit the nail on the head. Boston is just, their habits aren't good. And, and when things get rough, like you said, it's kind of your turn, my turn, guys trying to kind of take over by themselves. And it's just not good offense. Uh, I mean, a lot of people have talked about this, but they just don't move the ball. And, and that kind of enables Milwaukee to go on these runs like they did uh, in game three, when theoretically Boston should have run them off the floor with the group they had. And it, it's, it's, I guess it's not surprising if you watch the team the whole season, but you just think with the experience on the roster, they would have had a better showing than this. I mean, every game that the Bucks have won, they've gone on a run that the Celtics haven't been able to slow down. It's like, when Milwaukee starts to build its momentum, the Celtics just look for that kill shot. Like they, Milwaukee makes threes, the Celtics are out there hunting fours. Like they're just trying to, to, to stop the bleeding all with one shot instead of being patient, moving the basketball, getting a good look. It's just that's killed them all throughout this series. That third quarter um, against Milwaukee in Game Four was was just another example of it. Do you think we've we've seen the last of Kyrie Irving? in Boston as a Celtic. Game 5, of course, in Milwaukee could be a clincher for the Bucks. Do we think you've seen the last of Irving in Boston? I mean, doesn't it feel like that LeBron Celtic series? Don't you get that same vibe where he just checked out is not the right word, but he just looks exhausted by all this, like he's kind of over it. Obviously, I think you're a little closer. You you might know. I will say you talk to people around the league and a lot of them think he doesn't want to come back to New York. Where I land on Kyrie is this. He doesn't want to come back to New York or Boston. He doesn't want to come back to Boston. People are connecting him to New York, I should say. Where I fall on Kyrie is this. He's just so enigmatic trying to nail down what he's doing in any given moment is a fool's errand. You're not going to get that done. Again, Boston has that trump card. If they offer him a full five-year max, will he want to turn down that money? Who knows? But it's just hard to know what a guy like him, what goes into his decision-making process, what would make him happy. He got the chance to run his own team. This has been it. It hasn't gone very well. Does he want to be a sidekick again to someone like Kevin Durant? I don't know. I, I The way this series has gone, I think I would be surprised if he returned to the Celtics. But there's, just, there's no use predicting what a guy like him is going to do. There's too many unknowns right now for me to make any kind of prediction on Kyrie Irving. The biggest unknown is how the draft lottery plays out. You know, you could have the Knicks getting the number one pick, which I think would matter either in drafting a Zion Williamson or trading that pick to get an Anthony Davis. Uh, you could have, you know, the Celtics wind up with like the second pick. What if Sacramento's pick and the ping pong balls fall their way? All of a sudden, you know, Boston might have even more trade assets to build the team around Kyrie that he wants. I, I do think it's still realistic because of that five year deal. And because of the relationship that Kyrie has built with Danny Ainge and and with this organization, to see him decide to come back with the promise that the Celtics will go all in, shake up the roster, and bring in Anthony Davis. I mean, he's as close with Anthony Davis as he is with anybody in this league. They're really, really tight. So if that if that's something the Celtics believe they can deliver and can show him they can deliver it before July 1st hits, I don't think that it's 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 just a foregone conclusion that Kyrie goes. I, I do believe that, and I've said this, and I've 
Like you go back to to June when I did a podcast last last June when I said that the lure of New York for Kyrie is real. Like it absolutely is. He's a North New Jersey kid who, all things being equal, wants to play for the Knicks. The Celtics just have to make sure that all things are not equal. It looks like they're not going to be able to do it with how they play this year, but they still can go out there and build the type of team that Kyrie Irving wants to play on. That would mean Anthony Davis. Yeah, I do wonder how much of the LeBron influence has made Kyrie not love the kind of dual timeline thing the Celtics are on right now. Does he like playing with young guys? I think when he first got to Boston, he was really excited at the prospect of playing with Tatum, with Brown. And I think in practice, it hasn't really worked out the way he's wanted it to. I think there's been kind of that push and pull between grooming these young guys versus having a championship contender immediately. And I do think in in that sense, trading, you know, Brown, Tatum, whatever combination of those young guys, for an established vet like Anthony Davis, signals to Irving like, no, 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 we're ready to go all in now. The Davis stuff is interesting to me. Uh, just a quick pivot. That trade has to happen before the draft, right? Uh, not necessarily. I mean, you can have a deal in place before the draft, but who knows? I mean, maybe David Griffin believes that waiting for the dust to settle after the draft is the right way to go. It's just interesting because draft picks are valuable up until the moment you actually pick a player. Well, that's why Boston is hoping that the ping pong balls yeah. don't fall their way with the Memphis pick. I mean, they want that Memphis pick to stay inside that top eight so we can be what the Nets pick was, this kind of you know nebulous draft exactly. selection that looks great on paper, but sometimes it turns out to be Colin Sexton. It's going to be... It's just going to be... Not to look too far ahead, but I'm really curious how that Davis situation shakes out because I think Griffin, I think, has to come out and say they want to keep Davis. I don't think he can come and be like, oh, yeah, yeah, we're going to get rid of our best guy right away. But I think it's in their best interest to kind of move sooner rather than later. Yeah. One thing to button this up on Kyrie Irving, no matter what he does this offseason, that deal was the right one to make for Boston. All they really gave up was that eighth pick in the draft. I think that's what it was that turned out to be Colin Sexton. Clearly, Isaiah was never going to be the same player he was, whether it was in Boston or you know, playing somewhere else. So they rolled the dice, and even if he walks, it was a smart roll of dice. You still do that deal 10 times out of 10. Also, I don't, I've seen some of this on social media. The Celtics are not better without Kyrie Irving. They're just not. Like, that is mythical. Like, what are you going to do? If Kyrie leaves... Do you bring back Terry Rozier, who has seen his stock just crater over the last, you know, six to eight months, and hope that they can get their mojo back and be that team that they were a year ago? All right, that's a, a strategy, but you also have to remember that that, that team is going to get really expensive in the next couple of years with Rozier's contract and Tatum's contract and Brown's contract. Uh, how do you fill out that team around them? Kyrie's a, a legitimate star, and they're not better off next year if he decides to go somewhere else. Yeah, I mean, listen, it was a certainly some people would say it was a ruthless move, and I don't disagree. But in this era of it seems like teams are constantly kicking the can down the road, I at least respect a front office that was willing to push some of its chips in. And it definitely absolutely made sense at the time. And there's no, no doubt about that. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. This is it. We've got an Amex Platinum Pro on our hands, ladies and gentlemen. We haven't seen anyone relax like this before in the Centurion Lounge. (sighs) Is he connecting to complimentary Wi-Fi? Oh, my. Look at that. He is. And you will not believe where he's going next. The Amex dedicated card member entrance for the win. Unbelievable. When you get travel perks with Amex Platinum, you're part of the action. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a walk-off, grand slam, or a base hit to center field. 
Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Pet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Hey, this is Christina Quinn. I'm the host of Try This, the Washington Post's new series of audio courses. The idea behind Try This is to become better functioning humans without having to comb the internet for countless hours. In our first course, we learned how to sleep better. Now, we're going to learn how to make our friendships stronger. I'll offer expert tips that are doable, and I'll keep it short. So let's do this. Classes in session. Find Try This from the Washington Post wherever you listen. All right, so let's go over the Western Conference uh, now. Rockets, Warriors, uh, that series evened up. I- I'm not surprised that we're at 2-2 right now. I'm a little surprised at how we got to 2-2. The Rockets... Kind of a weird first two games of that series. You had the referee stuff. James Harden gets poked in the eye. And then they go home, and they just put a beat down on Golden State in uh, in Game 4. And and how they've been doing it, Rohan, with, I don't even want to call them this, but the South Beach Five, Mike D'Antoni's. Tuck Wagon. You like the Tuck Wagon. Tuck Wagon is better than South Beach Five. Jonathan Feigen for coming up with that one. It's, it's good. It's a good one. But the, the way that, that, that the small ball lineup has been working. I was reading a tweet. Zach Lowe tweeted something out where he said that the 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 Rockets were plus twenty one with PJ Tucker playing the five spot. PJ Tucker is the only quote big that they have out there on the floor. They're beating the Warriors at their own game. They have gone super small and they're able to defend at a high level. They're out rebounding Golden State in games three and four, and they're spreading the floor so much that James Harden has all this room to operate out there. What do you think of how the Rockets have gotten back into this series? I mean. First of all, let me just say, I thought like Rocket Ball, Mori Ball, like reached its, you know, low point after game one with all the memo stuff. And, you know, we talked about this on In the Paint, your SITV show, which everyone should subscribe to. Uh, It was bad. It was bad for the game. And I think the Rockets have come out with a better focus. Uh, They seem more committed to playing their game. What's funny about the small lineup for Houston is they have more shooting than Golden State. Obviously, Golden State's you know, with Steph, Clay, and KD are incredible shooters. But Houston's kind of just ignoring Iguodala and Draymond at this point on the perimeter to an extent. And, and Iguodala's done a good job. He's hit his open threes. But the Rockets just have more shooting. They're they're killing Golden State from the three-point line. Game four should have been a bigger blowout for Houston. In some ways, it was kind of concerning that it was close. Another thing you touched on, the rebounding. They are just getting to every loose ball. P.J. Tucker is a madman. Uh, you see Iman Schumberg getting mixed up. I mean, Houston, I, I, the issue with Golden State, their starters are already playing such huge minutes. But guys like KD, guys like Steph, they have to be committed to rebounding no matter the physical toll because that's where so much of this series is being won. I agree. I think we all assumed these guys are going to split uh, both games uh, in both cities and said that they've each won two straight. I, the, the small lineup has always made more sense to me with Houston. This is a conversation I... I kind of have a back and forth with with some other NBA writers is do you try to outsmall Golden State or do you try to beat them up? I, I don't think this is a series for Clint Capella. I think the Rockets' best bet is to outsmall them. Guys like Austin Rivers, Shumpert, Tucker, they've been playing really well. A big key for Houston has been it's not like Houston has great depth, but they're getting so much more from their bench than Golden State is. And, you know, Golden State in the past, Livingston was a, was a big help. Uh, they were able to bring guys, even if it was just a sixth man, it, it made such a difference. These teams aren't playing, you know, nine-man rotations. But if you're getting even the slightest contribution from your sixth and seventh guy, that makes a huge difference. And Houston has gotten that. Yeah, I watched these last couple of games, and one of the things that, that occurs to me is that they really missed DeMarcus Cousins out there on the floor. Uh, rebounding, for sure. And if you put Cousins out there, you can at least punish Houston for playing that really small lineup. Right now, you know, Tucker's kind of been a jack-of-all-trades defensively. He's done a really good job at least forcing Durant in some tough shots. I don't know what's going on with Steph Curry. Like, the three-point shooting has been strange. Like, he's still putting up numbers, and his field goal percentages are not bad, but his three-point numbers have just completely fallen off a cliff. And a lot of times when I'm watching these games, it's like they're trying to run some stuff and it doesn't work. And all of a sudden, it's Kevin Durant to save the day, and he hasn't been able to do it enough um, in these last these last couple of games for them. But th- this adjustment that Mike D'Antoni made to go small 
and, and to just chase them around the floor. It's just worked. I mean, there's a lot of long rebounds that the Rockets are getting to because they fire up so many three-point shots. But defensively, they're able to put five guys out there when Harden is playing reasonable defense that can be effective on the floor. Klay Thompson, though, is another guy that is having a weird series. Like, where is where is he in this series? Because he's a guy they need to step up and have one of those series like he did against uh, uh, Oklahoma City a couple of years ago. Yeah, Steph and Clay's struggles have been really weird. It's I don't think it's a coincidence that Clay was struggling a little bit and then all of a sudden we get this report that he might consider leaving the Warriors if he doesn't get the full max. Like the the timing of that was just funny to me. I wonder in whose interest it was to to kind of leak something like Which that. Which is not like that doesn't jibe with the Clay Thompson that I've certainly, covered over certainly, the years. Certainly. Clay Thompson's always been and he did this last time. He did not take the full max the last time. The full max would have meant percentages of the cap and a rise. He took a flat number, a big number, yeah. but he took a flat number, which I think helped Golden State, you know, in, in assembling all this. Certainly, certainly. I just think that it's interesting. As great as KD's been, and I wrote about this a little bit the other day, KD himself is a tougher cover than Steph Curry. I, I think individually Kevin Durant's obviously the better player. But when Golden State's offense slows down, when the movement slows down, as a team, they become a little bit easier to defend when you're kind of focused on KD as opposed to all the moving parts. And I think that has worked in Houston's favor. I think you got to give credit to James Harden, who was inviting those questions about his playoff performance again, wasn't efficient against the Jazz, did not play well in Game 1. He's really rebounded, especially in these games in Houston. Uh, I think Brian Windhorst wrote about this. His floater has looked a lot better the last couple games. I think he's shooting five for nine on floaters over the last few games. That makes a huge difference when, you know, he's not getting the three-point calls. He's not getting all the way to the rim. Uh, You see him, you know, hitting that floater. It just makes the defense so much more difficult uh, for Golden State. And I think what's really helped Harden is he's not settling for threes. I mean, obviously he's still taking a good number of step backs, but he's really putting pressure on Golden State switches, I mean, he's just blowing by Looney every time he gets that switch and, and driving hard to the rim, and I think that makes a big difference. I, I think we, as much as Steph and Clay have struggled and and their emergences could turn around this series, we got to give Harden his credit. He's really, you know, answered the call the last couple games, and, and I, he, I said he needs to at least play average, but. In this moment, he needs to elevate his game. We've seen KD do it. We've seen Kawhi do it. The last couple of nights, Harden has elevated his game, and I think that's made a big difference. Would this be an upset to you? Because I know oh, Houston was the four seed, but this is still largely the same team. I mean, people are calling this the finals. Yeah, I mean, yeah. And, and you know, Houston, they're, they're still basically the same team with some modifications with you know, Trevor Rees is gone and Luke Mabamute is gone, but Austin Rivers is in, Kenneth Farid is in. Austin Rivers has been great. Like, these midseason acquisitions, under-the-radar stuff, are just so impactful to yeah, some Go- of Yeah, Golden teams. State wasn't able to do it. Austin's been huge. Yeah, so give Daryl Morey a ton of credit for, for going out and getting those guys. But I don't see this as a massive upset because this is the same team that was up 3-2 you know, last year that came into this year with that kind of San Antonio circa 2014 mindset that we had the better team on the ropes and we're not going to let them off the hook this time. So, you know, after those two games, you know, first two games passed, they settled down, they got into some rhythm, they made some changes, and I don't, I don't think this would be that big an upset if the Rockets can go into Oracle, win one of the next three, and, and pull this off. I disagree. I think it would be a huge upset. As presently constructed, we've never seen this Warriors team lose a series. And even when they were down 3-2, I think the Iguodala injury obviously played a factor in that. This Golden State team is still really unlike anything we've ever seen. And obviously the league has tried so hard to catch up from them, not only just from a personnel standpoint, but from a strategy standpoint, that you know Houston deserves credit. I, I just think it would be crazy. I, the thing with the Warriors is... It still seems like whenever they play a full 48-minute focused game, they are far and away better than every team in the league. And obviously we're seeing them pushed to their, their true limits right now in this series. Kerr starting, you know, the Hamptons 5 uh, from the jump. Uh, that that shows a lot, a lot about the respect they have for Houston. This, to me, would be a massive upset. I mean, we haven't even really entertained the idea of having a different champion since... Durant joined the Warriors and I'm I'm always one of those guys that uh, when it comes to a team like this I kind of hang on 
a little bit too long as opposed to jumping ship too early. I need to see them get beat before I'm willing to say that this team is beatable. But to me, it would just be a huge upset because at no point since July 4th, 2016, have I even thought about another team winning an NBA championship. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. This is it. We've got an Amex Platinum Pro on our hands, ladies and gentlemen. We haven't seen anyone relax like this before in the Centurion Lounge. Is he connecting to complimentary Wi-Fi? Oh, my. Look at that. He is. And you will not believe where he's going next. The Amex dedicated card member entrance for the win. Unbelievable. When you get travel perks with Amex Platinum, you're part of the action. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. See for yourself when you sign up today and get $150 in bonus bets when you bet just $5. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. There's a lot happening these days, but I have just the thing to get you up to speed on what matters without taking too much of your time. The 7 from the Washington Post is a podcast that gives you the seven most important and interesting stories, and we always try to save room for something fun. You get it all in about seven minutes or less. I'm Hannah Jewell. I'll get you caught up with The 7 every weekday. So follow The 7 right now. Yeah, I, look, if if we didn't have last year and the Rockets didn't play the way they did, I would agree with you, but Houston's proven they're on Golden State's level and they've proven they can push them when healthy uh, you know, to the brink. So I, I don't know. I don't think it would be that big enough. So I, I, am, I am interested in how if Golden State does get knocked off, yeah, it, it makes Houston the favorite to, to win the whole thing, but I think whoever comes out of the East could be a formidable threat because of the type of teams that they have out there. I even think that, you know, if it's Denver, I don't know the Portland could do it, but if it's Denver, I think Denver could give some problems to uh to Houston if they wind up playing them in a conference finals. I, I am interested to see how the NBA the NBA is gonna get what it wanted probably next year. It's gonna get parity. You know, it's going to get that NFL level of equality where you have seven or eight teams that believe they can win a championship. And that's something Adam Silver has really wanted since he took over the commissioner's job. There's been really super team after super team for really the last like two or three decades in the NBA. Go back even further. The Celtics, a super team from the 1950s, the of 1960s. Of course you managed to bring the Celtics. You want to bring the Lakers into the mix. I mean, you can just, just name the teams that have won all those championships throughout the decades. You know, And maybe someone emerges from this group to become the champion and the team that wins, but you're going to have, I think, unprecedented parity if Kevin Durant walks and goes somewhere else. Now, the ratings suggest that you know viewers don't like it, but I think the NBA is better off for it if they have all these teams that are competitive. You can go into the postseason being like, wow, I, I have no idea who's going to win all this. There could be a, a four seed that wins a championship, a five seed that wins a championship. We haven't seen that in a while. Definitely, and I think it's... The East, especially, we've seen that play out. How fun it's been to watch this year. Can we talk about the Nuggets just for a moment? You I'm, love talking about. The I Nuggets. love talking about the Nuggets, and I've obviously been high on Denver. No pun intended. Since the start of the season, for them to recover mentally, not just physically, but mentally from that four overtime loss, they were down two one on the road in back to back series against two incredibly good home teams in the Spurs and Blazers. Both teams with more playoff experience than them. I've I've I can't recall a team as resilient as the Nuggets. It kind of seems like everything that can go against their way does. I mean, ga- even the the game they lost in four overtime. Who had Rodney Hood 
as the hero, you know, coming off the bench. Mo Harkless game, comes up lame. Right. Rodney Hood comes off the bench, nails three shots, game over. And, and it's just nuts. And I just, I, you can't give enough credit to two people. I think, first of all, Mike Malone, I think the front office uh, made a great decision to bring him back. He's improved every year. I think that team loves playing for Mike Malone, and, and that says a lot. And then Nikola Jokic, we talk about playoff wild cards. Now, it still remains to be seen what he would do in a series against a Houston or Golden State-type team. But there were legitimate fears that Jokic is the kind of guy that you can't play in the last three minutes of a fourth quarter defensively. We're seeing him chase around Damian Lillard and CJ McCollum. Not just the fact that he's held up defensively. He has been the best player on the court in back-to-back playoff series. And he's just been remarkable playing 65 minutes uh, in four overtimes. The way he stepped up in big moments, 43 points in his first closeout attempt, triple-double in his first Game 7. He's just been unreal, I think, responded to every question uh, and excelled, not just responded, he's excelled. You look at the guys who struggled, Kyrie, Steph, Giannis, for a brief moment we were worried after Game 1. Jokic hasn't had any of those moments in the playoffs. I'm just, I'm like a proud dad seeing the Nuggets just, you know, bloom the way they have. It's been incredible. My my favorite story of the postseason, win or lose, is just seeing them respond to, to kind of every bit of adversity uh, with excellence. I thought Mike Malone was going to kill Jokic in that game three. Like I, I thought Jokic would have, like, collapsed, like, on the court. He was, and you know what? He could have used a break in there because he wasn't very useful in the last couple of overtimes. Like, he was a top-of-the-key facilitator who I guess was a threat to score on you, but he was dragging towards the end. I mean, everybody was, but that's a seven-footer playing 64 minutes. That was wild to watch. He was basically, at some point on defense, he couldn't really challenge threes anymore, and he was good for, like, one driving hook every two minutes. But other than that, yes. Like, he was like, okay, someone come get this handoff because I, I can't really move much between, you know, he's running foul line to foul line at that point, but... That series has been maybe not played it as a not as much talent as Houston Golden State, but the constant tension in Blazers Nuggets has just been thrilling. Like that is the epitome of playoff basketball. I'm kind of surprised Damian Lillard's taking a little bit of a step back. I thought this would even be a better series for him because of the team he was playing. Uh, yeah, man, the Nuggets, Gary Harris, like just everyone seems like they were ready for this moment, and I think that's been surprising. Oh, they can get after him with multiple guys that can do different things. I mean, Gary Harris is kind of a bulldog-type defender. They can go length with Will Barton and some of these Torrey other guys. Craig, yeah. Torrey Craig, Like, they can, they can give him different looks than Oklahoma City could. Plus, I mean, he had to do a lot, that Oklahoma City series. I know it was only five games, but, man, he had to do a ton to, to, to get that team to where it was. So I'm not surprised to see him plateau... A little bit, but that that stands to me as the most fun series to watch the rest of the way. Pretty much anything Denver's in at this point is yeah worth worth staying up late for, man. Yeah. Like that's just a good group. Uh, they they play a very aesthetically pleasing style of basketball, and I'm sure you know I wrote about this already, and I'm sure we're going to talk about it more. But Jokic has been a top five player in these playoffs. I mean, think about the guys he's been better than. He's been better than Embiid. He's been better than Kyrie probably a little bit better than Steph like this is it's no joke what he's doing in his first playoff run uh it's it's remarkable from BBC Radio 4 Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip I thought in that moment oh my god we've summoned something from this board this is uncanny USA He says, somebody's in the house. And I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. There are some things that are too good to keep a secret. Like how your Amex Platinum card helps you have the perfect trip. I'd like to check into the Centurion Lounge. Or how it seems like you always get those hard-to-snag tables. Ooh, yum. And how you get the most out of select can't-miss events. With access to the Centurion Lounge, Resi Priority Notified, and Amex card member benefits at select events, you'll have to share. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. 
At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a walk-off grand slam or a base hit to center field. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Pet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Hey, this is Christina Quinn. I'm the host of Try This, the Washington Post's new series of audio courses. The idea behind Try This is to become better functioning humans without having to comb the internet for countless hours. In our first course, we learned how to sleep better. Now, we're going to learn how to make our friendships stronger. I'll offer expert tips that are doable, and I'll keep it short. So let's do this. Classes in session. Find Try This from the Washington Post wherever you listen. Yeah, he's been great. He is great. Um, all right, let's talk about some of the coaching uh candidates hirings that we've got over the last uh, week or so monty williams he is officially the head coach of the phoenix suns he gets a five-year deal from the suns take takes over for igor kokoskov who i thought got pretty badly jobbed down there in phoenix at the same time monty williams is a very good coach he is a i don't know how accomplished he is but he's had some success as a head coach when you talk about coaches that are respected across the league he comes at at or near the top of the list so they get a a upgrade i would think at that position with monty williams who took that job apparently over the lakers job espn was reporting that the lakers were surprised that monty williams took the sun's job that monty was high on their list and they might have been progressing towards an offer for him when he took the sun's job i'm not surprised rohan because i've been saying for a while that the sun's job is better than the lakers job the Suns' job offers you a young core. It offers you potentially a top two or three pick, whatever the wherever the ping pong balls fall on May 14th. It offers you a low-pressure situation on a team with relatively clean books. You know, Monty Williams is not going to go to Phoenix and have the pressure to win over the next couple of years. He'll have to win more than they have, which isn't much at all. He might have to win 30 games next year to prove himself as a quality coach in that town. He won't have to make the playoffs for two years, maybe, uh, with that group. Whereas L.A., not only do they have kind of the same level of dysfunction within their organization that the Suns do, which is saying something, but they also have a team that's in flux. They've got a LeBron James team on one side, and you've got all these young guys on the other, the possibility of a significant trade lurking out there. As crazy as it sounds, the Suns are the more stable organization right now. And getting that five-year deal, I think that was just the 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 icing on the cake right there. That was the that was what locked it in from Monty Williams to get a fifth year and the kind of job security that very few, if any, coaches have had recently with Phoenix. I just disagree completely. I under I, you're not making like an insane argument. I, I think that that is a, a fair argument to make. Here's what it comes down to. I'd rather want the pressure of winning. I want LeBron cap space plus the chance to trade for another star over Phoenix. I know we could go back and forth all day about the dysfunction between both organizations. Here's what I'll say about Phoenix. Just look at how many coaches they've run through. I mean, Jeff Hornacek looked like a smart hire on paper. didn't work. Igor Kokoskov looked like a smart hire on paper. They changed courses. You know, they we talk about their young talent at the same time. Devin Booker hasn't shown that he could have a sustained impact on winning. I don't think DeAndre Ayton is a bad basketball player. At the same time, where does a center who doesn't shoot threes or or threaten to shoot threes kind of get you in today's day and age if he's not a a Giannis type or an NBA type? I think he can develop into that, though. It's possible. I I just, I also don't think, I don't think any free agents want to sign there. I I, I don't think it's an appealing situation. And that front office. You're playing with one of the worst owners in sports, uh, which we've discussed before. The, the front office, I mean, James Jones. I like James Jones. I mean, shout out to a Heat legend. But is he your guy you you want running the front office? You know, there's been criticisms about their, their bare-bones scouting department, uh, what kind of operation they're running there. I still think the Lakers have so much more appeal uh, to players around the league. I mean, we're seeing it with the Knicks, right? The Knicks have been a model of dysfunction for so long, but they still have an appeal to players. I think the Lakers are a similar situation where if they can get things sorted out even to a tiny degree, players will want to go play for them. I don't think you have that with the Suns. I, here's what I'd say about Monty Williams. I think he has the ability to be a good coach. Like you said, 
hasn't necessarily a proven record of success, but is well respected. The infrastructure there is just so bad that for me, if I'm him, you're looking at the Suns infrastructure is very bad. The Lakers isn't great, but at least the Lakers have have talent, have arguably more promising young players. I mean, I understand Devin Booker has shown. No, they don't have more. Like, well, let me Devin, put it this way. Devin no, Booker is. I understand, but let me put it this way. Let me put it this way. The year before LeBron joined, that Lakers young core was doing a lot more than what anything Booker has ever done with the Suns. And that to me alone makes them a little bit more appealing. So I, I don't well, think Booker was by himself though well, down sure, there. And sure, that was but, like and I don't even know who the point guard was on that team back then. Right. So I, I understand what you're saying. I don't think it's absurd. I, I just disagree from, from the way I kind of judge things, I'd rather roll the dice with LeBron. And I see people saying, Why would you want a ceremonial ring? You think Ty Lu feels like his ring is ceremonial from Cleveland? It's I don't look at it that way. I I give me that that shot at winning. I, I do think the five year deal makes a huge difference but I don't let me I don't think Monty Williams himself can fix the Suns he's going to need a lot of help and I'm not sure that everyone else around him can pull it off yeah where I would disagree with you though is that Phoenix isn't you know Memphis or Oklahoma City in terms of market appeal to players they have in the past been able to lure guys down there remember LaMarcus Aldridge was very close to signing there in fact was preferring them over the Lakers at that time, um, because Phoenix is a desirable, desirable place to live. It's a warm climate. You know, it's a, a nice area. Um, I, I think that you're right. They're not going to get guys to sign there right now because they have to prove that they're functional. But once they do, I think they'll have some success. Whereas I don't know that Oklahoma City or Memphis or some of these other small market teams would have the same level of success. I am with you on building out the scouting department. I mean, you have got to do what the let's say the, the the Clippers have done and just expand your front office staff. They they made the right move off the bat in going to get a Jeff Bauer who can be kind of the traffic cop within the organization and and sort of show James Jones the ropes there. And I think Jones has the potential to be a really good general manager uh, in this league. But no GM can do it by himself. You've got to have a high level uh, scouting staff, high-level assistant GMs. There's a reason that that San Antonio wins, or they get rated every single year of all their top guys in their front office. Oklahoma City's got some good guys in their front office. You've got to build an elite uh, management staff to make yourself more appealing. But once they get there, and that might just be in like two years, if they're like a 40-win team in two years, which may be ambitious, but if they're a 40-win team in two years, they're going to be a front-runner to get somebody. They really will, whether it's via trade and keep that guy or uh, signing somebody in free agency because that's a good place to play. You've got a coach that guys want to play for, and you've got a team that is built, at least on the surface, to to, to, to succeed. And I don't know if the Lakers are there. I know the Lakers are still the Lakers, but what is LeBron James going to be in two years? Is he going to be – where would we consider him? Top 20, top 30 at that point? Is he even better in two years? I mean, it's, it's a legit question after what we saw from LeBron this past year. Two things, two quick things, and, and we can move on, at least or we can if you want to. In two years, I'd still take LeBron over Devin Booker. And I think what you're saying sounds very logical. I've just never known the Suns to take logical steps forward. So they'll have to prove me wrong before I'm willing to put any faith in them. Uh, but I also want to say that, um, you know, the Lakers, as they kind of zero in on Ty Lue, Ty Lue, I'm not here for the Ty Lue hate. Like, it, I've been, all I read about now is the. You know, Ty Lue is LeBron's guy. He is. Like, he's, you're able to hire Ty Lue because LeBron James is in the fold. And that's fine. But Ty Lue on his own is a good coach. Like, it was a bad end in Cleveland, but that team, they promised Ty Lue one thing. They promised Kevin Love one thing, and they went in a completely different direction. They wanted that to play. That team sucked. <laughs> well, I mean, it, it did. And, you know, Ty went into the season like Kevin did, thinking that they were going to try to win games. And he was punished in a way for. You know, wanting to play veterans and play some of the guys that he trusted in when they wanted to play Colin Sexton for 35 minutes a night and just burn those guys out and see if you can develop them with trial by fire. But Ty Lue's a really good coach. Like he took over that 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 Cavalier team and made it better. Like he did. He has a championship ring. So him going into that situation, which seems the most likely outcome, that that's a decent. You know, that, that's a pretty good hire for the Lakers. Yeah, I think people forget Ty Lue was like the hottest name on the assistant coach market for many years. Uh, before he ended up getting that Cavs job. I mean, people remember when he was Doc Rivers' assistant. A lot of people talked about him as kind of a head coaching guy. I think he's he's played for and worked under some really good coaches. 
uh, that, that people kind of forget because they just kind of assume, you know, he was riding LeBron's coattails there in Cleveland. I think it sounds like the Lakers have a chance to make some really good hires here. If Lou takes a job, if he gets Frank Vogel to be his assistant, I think Frank Vogel was such an underrated coach for what he did in Indiana, pushing LeBron and those Heat teams all that time. You know, with Roy Hibbert and and not to insult those guys, David West, really good players, Lance Stevenson. I mean, those weren't superstars, and he was pushing those Heat teams. I think Frank Vogel was a really underrated coach if they can get him on the bench as well. The issue with the Lakers is less the result and more the process. They're just going about this in such a strange way. This vacuum in the front office now that magic is gone. It looks like Rob Palenka and Kurt Rambis and Linda Rambis are running the show. It's just... It's amateur. It's amateur for an organization of this stature. Just compare them. Like you said, the Clippers. In a league with a salary cap, one way, not not circumvent, but to get an advantage over other team, build out your front office. Put a lot of resources into front office coaching, all these ancillary things that can help you become better as an organization. The Lakers don't have any of that. And I think there's the way they're going about making this decision is so rushed, is so backward. And I think we're, they... What they're doing is setting themselves up to run into the same problems they did this year, which is a lack of culture, a lack of structure, a lack of accountability, who's holding who in check. And I think that's what bothers me more. It's not that Ty Lue in and of itself is a bad hire, but the way they're going about it raises questions. All right. I certainly hope this is the last time we go deep on the Lakers in this this podcast space. How about next week we do a deep dive on the Hornets? Like Listen, Hornets and Magic. Let's right talk there. Hornets. Let's talk. Let's talk about the Heat, baby. Let's yeah. just let me just list players who would be so much better off just playing one year under Eric Spolstra. <laughs> what they'd learn, how much better they'd become. We'll save that for another day. Rohan, always appreciate it, man. Thanks for joining me. Thank you, man. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a walk-off grand slam or a base hit to center field. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Zumo Play is your destination for endless entertainment. With a diverse lineup of 350 plus live channels, movies, and full TV series, you'll easily find something to watch right away. And the best part? It's all free. Love music? Get lost in the 90s with iHeart 90s. Dance away with hip hop beats and more on the iHeart Radio music channels. No logins, no signups, no accounts, no hassle. So what are you waiting for? Start streaming at play.xumo.com or download from the app and Google Play stores today. All you can stream with Zumo. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote.